welcome to uh, episode 8 of Two Guys One Dice Cup and episode 8 is entitled T.O.'s Guide Part 1 and my name is Alistair Goldeneye Unicorn and I am very very thankful to continue to have my good friend Phil, where are you? Yep, uh, Phil from Arash's Cairns here. Thank goodness, we're still going, episode 8, it's amazing Yeah <laughs> there's, there's still people listening to it, so it's uh, it's worth us doing it continually. Yep. I think. Yep. Um, so as the entire Blood Bowl world knows, uh, season twenty twenty is on the way, and there are many, many, many fine podcasts and some disreputable podcasts that are uh, continuing to talk about it. Uh, we aren't. We want to help future tournament organizers when COVID-19 magically disappears, just like Trump promised, uh, <laughs> get ready, get ready for when the world comes back online. And so this, this podcast uh, is part one. Um, how many parts are we planning on doing? Just two. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll just do a two parter with, uh, with this uh, part one more covering uh the, the the kind of up to the day and then part two being the day itself and whatever happens after that. Fantastic. So um so rookie coaches, we're not gonna be talking about any teams or tactics, but uh, you guys should feel free to listen on because uh the rookie rookie TOs, I guess, if if they're gonna be a thing, uh, this is definitely your podcast. Yeah, I think pretty much every, every Blood Bowl player uh is a potential TO. Uh because it's not um, it's not difficult to organise a tournament, but there's an art to kind of making it work for you and, and kind of um, making sure you're you're not working against yourself, I guess, more than anything else. Yeah, very much so. And uh, we'll get to that the main body of the podcast in section three. But I think before that, we should really talk about um, you know the gaming. That myself and Phil have been up to over the past over the past month since our last podcast, uh, and I think in that case, Phil, you always seem to do a hell of a lot more than me. So, yeah, kick, kick it off. Um, we talked about the League of Extraordinary Linemen end of the season last uh, last episode, didn't we? I'm, I'm pretty ah, sure we course. did. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would do. Yeah, yeah. Only our um, Facebook followers would know how. The results turned out. <laughs> yeah, well, I anybody who heard the podcast would know that I won. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think uh, that's uh, that. That was a good uh, a good season. Um, so we've we've kicked off season two of that now. Well, 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 the last thing from the previous season was I avoided the wooden spoon. Hello, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, very narrowly. Have we, hey. Did we record? Have we not recorded before? Uh, before that? Nope, nope. That's what I'm saying. We we only ever posted on the Facebook page what the final results were. We've never spoken about it. Oh, crazy! Oh well, I won. Uh, yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, I beat I beat uh, Huntley Loon, uh in the final game, and you lo- did you Oops. lose your game? You lost your game, but everybody else that that needed to win. Yeah, also lost. Also lost. So yeah, you managed to narrowly avoid the wooden spoon. Yeah. No, I um, was up against Steve Brand's uh, corn team, and 
we were playing a filthy, filthy, dirty game against each other. There was fouls flying everywhere. Um, I think there was four people sent off between the two of us. The referee was well aware of the type of blood bowl we were playing. And uh, I was one player away from being tabled uh, <laughs> right at the very end. And, Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was the one thing I should say before we talk start talking about season two is that yourself, Huntley Loon, Stephen Brands, uh, you know, JC, Space Gandalf, you're all better players than me. And I'm fully, <laughs> fully happy to admit that. Uh, Ross Anderson, mm, he's, he has his days. Um, but. I'm I'm happy that you know I could hold my own against you guys because you play currently play a lot more blood bowl than I do. So yeah, I think you you probably had the hardest uh, into that league because uh, everybody else had been playing uh, tournament blood bowl um, consistently up until we went into COVID yep. panic um, during March. You know, so I think you hadn't played for a, a like tournament for about a year up until that point. Well, other than the World Cup, yeah. Yeah, other than the World Cup. Uh, and even then, you know, I mean, uh, that was a, a seat of the pants kind of uh, experience for yeah. you for that one as well, given how little you'd played either side of it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was a tough it was a tough ask for yourself. Yeah. I, I would say I would say it's probably, like, you're better than Space Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> you that, you... Hairy fucker, fucking hairy little dwarf cunt. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're definitely better than him. Um, and let's let's bounce on to that because season two kicked <laughs> off. We've had yes. our first round, and I um, my first game was against JC and his humans. Yep, two one victory to myself and my high elf fancy boys. He's <laughs> living the living the dream, and uh, there's no real highlights other than. Because I've got a high elf team uh, and we're all linemen, um, I have inducements against me every game. Yeah. So I got to bump into Helmet Wolf for the third time in seven games and uh, I got to watch him try a foul as his first action and get sent off. Amazing. And not break Isn't, armor either. And not break armor. <laughs> he is literally the worst star player on Fumble, without a shadow of a doubt. He's fucking that, pointless. Well, Bang for your buck on paper, he should be amazing, but yeah, he, he's, he doesn't deliver online, just doesn't do it. So, rookie coaches, there is a nugget of gold if you play on fumble, don't bother with Helmet Wolf, he just doesn't do it on the internet. Yeah, if you've got uh, if you've got enough money to take Helmet Wolf on fumble, just take a bribe instead because <laughs> yeah. you'd be better gang fouling with one of your own players. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's just oh god almighty! I know, I know, I've, they've been through the stats for that, and I'm pretty sure he is actually the worst uh, star player on fumble. I used um, him against you, and he was shite against you as well. Yeah, the one highlight, or sorry, the one main highlight after the game in the post-match sequence was my Hadge five lineman got a skill up and got dodge. So he's uh, he's looking a bit saucy for for the rest of the season. So yeah, looking forward to it. I am. Um, I play the Huntley Loon um, ah, next week. Yeah, he's going to murder you. <laughs> Thanks. <It's a> fucking <laughs> he's his teams. Uh, although he did lose his tackle guy, so uh, I think you're probably 
your age five guys only going to die by his own dodge, his own, his own failed uh, one, or uh, or or you'll you'll just block somebody uh, and die. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. What a confidence. <laughs> How did your first game go? Oh, uh, I see. Like after the six uh, wins last series uh, season, um, which was great, I knew this season was going to be a little bit a little bit harder. Uh, as everybody else's skills were kind of coming through, and I ended up playing. Uh, we added an eighth person to the league, uh, a guy called Brian, uh, who goes by the naff name of Amroth. Uh, he's a, a reasonably good player, and he's a competent guy. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he took um, Chaos Chosen, so he's got Beastman, and he had enough inducements to take uh, Wither Grasp Double Drool, who is li- literally, <laughs> literally. Amazon Bane, like he's he's literally the 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 person that I didn't want to get star player against, you know, with uh, wrestle tackle two heads prehensile tail the the whole bifter. Um, so, uh, did he do much? No. Uh, thankfully, on that front, he did didn't do much. Uh, I murdered my own team, like literally. <laughs> Every time I went and did a go for it or a dodge, um, I think looking at the stats, I had something stupid like uh, I made, um, I think it was about 20 dodges and failed um, eight of them. So, <laughs> so and then and on at least, at least a couple of those, uh, it was into Badly Hurts or um, uh, Cash. And I... It just I, I I scored earlier in the first half than I wanted to, so mm-hmm. I, en- I ended up one uh, nil up. Um, stopped him from scoring. Uh, he had four turns to score, I think. Um, stopped him from scoring in my drive, but by that point, I, I was looking good. By that point, I had um, I had ten players uh, plus um, one person in the KO box. And Brian had, I think it was maybe, I think he would have had nine if neither of his KOs came back. Yep. Uh, but both his KOs came back and my uh, KO didn't come back. So I ended up down a person uh, and the second half was just awful. I just, uh, every bloody, just looking at it just now. Turn over, uh, three up dodge. Turn over, two up go for it. Turn up over, two up go for it. Turn over, minus two dike block. That was my final, my final hurrah to stop him from scoring. Because uh, I'd popped the ball about two or three times by this point. It was a two up um, blitz. Uh, sorry, a two uh, um, a two dice uphill blitz. Um, and I was quite happy to take a both down on that because at least the ball. Uh, would have been popped, and it, I rolled it both down, and uh, defender stumbles. So the guy went down. He had no re-rolls at this point, so all he had to do was pick it up and score. Um, and if he didn't pick it up, it was a one-nil win to me. Uh, but he picked it up and scored, so it was a one-one. Yeah, it was a tough game, you know. I think, uh, like I say, if, there was a few things that happened. Oh, the, I forgot to say as well, at the start of my drive, uh, his drive, I had plus fame. But the start of uh, his drive would roll the pitch invasion, and mm-hmm. I ended up with either three or four players stunned. 
<laughs> he had two. So not only was I down on players in, in numbers anyway, but my whole front line was just obliterated and uh, was then stunned for effectively two full turns, his turn and uh, and my turn. So I was already down. I think his first hit was a, a cash as well. <laughs> of his drive, so my my team just disintegrated in the second half. It was it was a good game, but yeah, I'd been due one well, of those. It's early days, and you know, it's game one of, um, you know, was it seven games? Seven, so? yeah. I've got I've got Stephen Brands um, in the next game, so. Well, good luck. Go fuck him up. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's. You start- see, see, you hear what happened there, Phil? I was positive. Helpful <laughs> for you, as opposed to what you were to me. So you know, yeah, but there's the realism there. Though. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, you're going to have a tough game against Huntley Lane, and you know it. <sighs> Let's move on, prick. He's also got 120k of uh, inducements. Of course he does. Yeah, everybody does. Yeah, so um, I think uh, that's that's helmet is. that's helmet wolf, isn't it? No, you can't you can't take helmet wolf and chaos. Oh no, it's chaos renegades. Maybe you can. Yeah, or maybe anyway. it's the orc one. Oh, I don't know. Oh fuck me! Crazy Let's times. Not. I'll worry about it next week. So. <laughs> have you have um, you managed to play on any other stuff? None, none at all. Nothing at all. No other games at all. Uh, no blood bowl. Just the regular um, settlers of Catan stuff that I've been playing on. Uh, on a Monday night through Steam, so nothing, nothing really exciting to talk about there. Sometimes yeah. I settle Catan, other times I don't. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I've had a a little run in CCL on um, Blood Bowl Two after having a pretty dismal uh, run over the past uh, couple of months. Um, I just started a fresh Lizardman team. Um, not not long after we had the last podcast. And um, I think I'm sitting on four wins, one draw now. So that's, that's not too bad. It's good. Uh, no losses. Uh, so I've been. I've had a couple of tough games on that. I think. Um, was it? It was Chaos Dwarves, Nurgle, Necro, and a developed Orc team. They're all pretty hard hitting teams. Yeah, especially when after five games you still have no block on any Saurus because none of the MVPs are going anywhere near near them. Yeah, that's really tough going. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long slog, but like I say, five games uh, played, four wins, one draw, zero losses. So it's not been too bad. Um, uh, good. It's been a good good run. Good. But other than that, no, I've not been playing online at all. No, you know what it's like. You can't roll dice in real life up here at the moment, so it's, yeah. uh, it's not so good. Anything else uh, happening? What's been on the table? Are you painting at all? Or nothing? Nothing. Sadly, everything. You know, I've most of the most of the podcast world know I'm gearing up for a house move that's happening in the next couple of weeks. So everything is has been very much firmly boxed up for quite a while, um, which is a real shame, but. When it talk comes to purchases, well, pre-ordered a Blood Bowl 2020. Of yes, course. yes. Uh, the box, the core box set with the two teams in the rulebook and all that stuff. That's that's all I really need and really really want, and I'm very excited to be getting it. Yeah, I've I've done the same. Um, I didn't go and badger any of our local games. Uh, 
places to have their uh, demo copy or anything like that uh, <laughs> because I didn't feel like that was necessary. I'll just buy the fucking thing. Um, so I bought um, I bought the box set. Uh, what else did I get? Uh, the Necro Team, Necro Dice. Um, I'll just get the Necro um, um, Spike in digital format. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think I bought anything. I didn't buy the tree or anything. I will buy the tree at some point because um, I quite like it. I know it's di- uh, divided the the community a little bit, um, uh, but I still quite like it. I I'll prefer wait to it. see it. I'll I prefer wait to see it, it without the, the mask. You know the kind of weird mask version. Because you can build it in two different versions. I, I prefer it without the mask. But given the fact that if you're going to use it on a halfling team, you probably want um, two of them. You maybe don't want the two to look the same. Yeah. So I'll wait. As I said, I'll wait until I see it in the flesh to judge it. Yeah. So. But yeah, um, you bought anything else, or? I have been really, really good and really restrained. Actually, now that I think about it, fuck, I did spend some money. There was, oh, God. It was for bolt action again. There was a, some guy was selling a tank. He was selling a bunch of late war German tanks on Facebook trade sites. And as they were going, I was like, you know, it was like a, you know, King Tiger and Yag Tiger, all the big tanks for those that yeah. care. And uh, as as they were going, I'm like, cool, don't have that, cool, yeah, fine. It was like the temptations were disappearing. And then he had this one tank. It was uh, based on the Panther hull. It was a tank that was never actually made. It was only ever on paper. Um, And it had, like, anti-aircraft guns on it. Anyway, super nerdy. And... It'd been on for a couple of days. Nobody was interested, so he just said, "Oh, look, somebody make me an offer." I'm like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" Right? So I fired an offer. I think he was trying to sell it for for um, thirty quid, and I just rolled the dice on it and said, "Oh, look, will you take fifteen plus postage?" He's like, "Yeah, sure, no worries, mate." Hey, look, do you want another one? What? What do you mean? Oh, I've got two. Do you want to take two for thirty? Okay. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. So I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh, the other one's painted. Do you mind? I'm like, no, don't care. Fuck it. Give me it. Um, oh, so I just, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. Uh, but yeah, so that's the only other thing I bought. I haven't even opened the box. I just, as soon as it arrived in the mail, I just threw it in a bag for, for packing. <laughs> yeah. like, I'll look at it. You. I'll look at you next year. I don't. I don't uh, think I've bought much more. Um, I bought some paints. Um, I bought. Um, you know how they've got the Nurgle Space Marine Heroes set. Yes. Um, I bought the full set of those. Um, so they, I've got them coming as well. Uh, but I think that's it. I have been doing some painting. Um. I don't know where I'd got to last time we spoke, but um, I finished McNuggets Bretonians. Um, yep. I've I got barreled through on. I've done quite a bit of uh, both the uh, gargants that I was working on. Um, had I started them last time? No, you you hadn't. So you've you've cracked out the airbrush and done the skin tones and stuff like that. 
Yeah, so I mean, I'd, I'd never really kind of used an airbrush much more than for um, like zenithal priming, um, um, varnishing, and uh, occasionally kind of laying down kind of base colours and stuff like that. But I sat and kind of uh, thought, you know, something I can't be arsed um, doing the old uh, brush action on something as big as that. Uh, so I'll give it. I'll give the um, the airbrush a try. And I think it came out pretty good. It came out really good. I know you've put pictures on your um, Phil Paint Stuff uh, blog, so hopefully people can get along to see that. And we'll. I'm sure you must have linked it to the two guys one dice cup facebook page so yeah i've got i've got yeah i'm on um i've got that on facebook and on instagram as well so depending on what folk are interested in if if they prefer one or the other for that sort of stuff so it's just fill paint stuff on both so you should share the links and just so people can see what you've um what you've managed to achieve which is really really good yeah so i've got them i've got them going um what else? I finished. I'm in the process of finishing off uh, twenty plague bearers as well. Um, that have just been sitting in kind of a part finished state, so they they just need to be. Um, I think there's a final round of highlights on them and um, finish the bases. Um, mm-hmm. I've finished the or I'm finishing the um, Nurgle version of Lord Borak uh, that I converted uh, for the. Uh, my Nurgle Blood Bowl team, so he's uh, he he just needed to be based. Uh, so I'm doing that at the same time as the Plague Bearers because it was pretty much the same uh, type of basing that I'd used for for them. And that's about it. I've 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 managed to get pretty sort of focused on stuff. So yeah, I'm, uh, now, I'm getting it done. You're you're neglecting to mention though, aren't you? Internet's famous. Didn't something really cool. Oh yeah, aye. So uh, my uh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. My um, bloaters from my Rottenham Grotspur Nurgle team that I'd converted from Blight Kings and Chaos Spawn were on uh, the hobby roundup for Warhammer TV on uh, Twitch. So uh, that was quite fun. Uh, High level nerd stuff, mate. Well yeah, done. Yeah, uh, Peachy and Nick were. Uh, were saying it was uh it was whatever it was uh yeah so that that was great that's uh that's one ticked off the the nerd thing just need to get someone in white dwarf now that's the next yep. so no no that was great um i just got a message on instagram from warhammer community asking if they could put it up and uh of course i said yes so that was uh that was good it's a it's a pity they didn't uh, look at uh, choose the pestigors because I, I would say they're probably better, uh, but I've used some non GW stuff on them, so uh, that's probably put them off. Yeah, the uh, the shoulder pads are they made by a company called Max Mini because um, I couldn't find anything that I liked shoulder pads wise in the GW yeah. range. But yeah, that's fair enough. It's, it's been a pretty busy busy hobby run. Uh, yep. past wee while. No, look, I can't wait for the coming months when I can have a lot more to talk about in uh, in this section because it's been you know since we started the podcast, this whole house move saga has been going on for me, and I've barely lifted a paintbrush to anything. So I'm really um, 
can't wait to be contributing more yeah, to this chat. Good to get you back in it. Um, are you going to have yep. a new like hobby cave in the house? Yes. So, yeah, oh, good. yes, yes. I've got there's a room set aside for me, all mine. Can't wait. And uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, words can't describe how much I'm looking forward to burrowing in there and closing the door. Thank yep. God. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> enough enough about my daydreams. Uh, we should go on to the third section, which is going to be the the body of the podcast. Tio in your first tournament. Aye. So, rookie Tio's uh, welcome. So, I know we've we've got a lot we're going to cover, and this part of the Tio's guide is going to cover everything up until the night before your event. Uh, so all the sort of pre-planning thoughts and processes we're going to try and cover for you and highlight some pitfalls. Maybe I should briefly say that if, um, if you're not aware, myself and Phil run a Blood Bowl event in Aberdeen, which is a two-day Blood Bowl event called Granite Bowl. And we've run that for a couple of years. And besides that, myself and Phil also uh, TO other events independently of each other. So we've got uh, a bit of depth and experience to be talking from. And for my own experiences, uh, back in the early 2000s, I worked for Games Workshop in, in Australia and was a TO for some of their uh some of their events that they ran, especially for Lord of the Rings um, strategy battle game back in the day. So uh, we've got form on organising <laughs> events. So hopefully you'll um, you'll pay a little bit of attention to us. Yeah, and obviously uh, we've uh, we've fallen down some pitfalls our, ourselves. Uh, just, oh yeah, uh, we fucked up. Um, and there's there's definitely things that looking back and that we'd do differently as well. So it's it. It's worth sharing that um, that experience, I think, because, um, like I said before, pretty much anybody who's played at a tournament is a potential uh, TO uh, in mm-hmm. the future, you know, uh, depending on how your local scene is. So, yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to kick off, Al? Or, or uh, no, I was going to leave the door open for you, mate. So I think um, what, what you want to kind of think about first is, uh, is like, you, you've got your, you've got in your mind, yeah, I want a TO tournament. Um, you have to have a think to yourself. Do I want it to be NAF ragged? Now we've we've spoken about the NAF uh, previously in, in episodes, and we use the uh, the NAF championships in Nottingham as our uh, kind of uh, example rule set for uh, for our tournament guides for for individual teams. Um, so the NAF has this ranking system that is that records all the games that take place in in NAF ranked tournaments, and uh, you um, contribute to that, um, and you can run NAF tournaments yourself. You know, so you have to have a think about whether you want it to be NAF ranked. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a, a plus or minus to that. I guess it depends on your local community. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't try and get something NAF ranked unless you were doing something weird in a rule set. 
we'll get onto that in a wee bit. Exactly. I think my thoughts with the NAV ranking is that it um, it expands the community, the gaming community. Like for Blood Bowl, the NAV um, are a bit of a glue that keep the tournament community together uh, and help it grow and encourage NAF players to attend. Um, so I, I don't see it as being a negative. I only see it as a positive. And you mentioned speaking to your local NAF rep. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a good idea to do that, yeah. Yeah, because they're going to be able to give you a little bit of guidance on um, certain aspects on how or what the NAF expect from an event or what they need you know, to be NAF, a NAF-ranked event. And uh, you also want that NAF rep to attend if possible because that way they can... Um, sell their NAF memberships, provide dice, um, and also be there for your local players to ask questions of. So, yeah, you know, they're, usually, a, yeah they're usually useful to have around as well on the day, uh, just uh, to help kind of keep things running smoothly. Because yep. they've obviously had, uh, they, they generally tend to have had lots of uh, tournament experience and possibly to or their own event events as well so exactly yeah uh, so they, they, they're a good uh, hand holder uh, spe- specifically in your your kind of first couple of events i think yeah so once you've decided whether or not it's going to be naf ranked or not we we would recommend that yes you have it naf ranked i'll i'll put my you know line in the sand there the next thing you want to do is think about the date you know, when are you going to run this event? Uh, you know, if you're sitting there right now, it's, you know, the middle of November and you decide, okay, I want to be a TO. You've got to give yourself at least six months uh, lead time just to give yourself enough time to prepare and make sure you can uh, generate enough interest in the event. But most importantly, the thing you need to look at is the bigger tournament calendar for your local area. Uh, and not just for Blood Bowl, though. You've got to look beyond that. You've got to look at other big games like Warhammer 40,000, uh, Age of Sigmar, um, War Machine. You know, I'll always mention Bolt Action, but Bolt Action's really a fringe game. You know, let's let's face it, for me, <laughs> silly. Uh, but there are bigger games that will draw more people in so if you decided to have a a one day blood bowl event on the same saturday where the you know scottish warhammer 40,000 nationals was happening you're not going to attract as many players you would agree with that wouldn't you phil yeah i mean there will be um a bit of player loss as a result of stuff like that i mean yes uh not everybody who plays blood bowl plays 40k but there is definitely crossover there um, and you you have to think about that for sure, you know. Um, yep. As far as uh, the Blood Bowl scene goes, I mean, you've definitely got to keep an eye on what's going on around you because there's no point in trying to compete with another tournament that's happening like half an hour down the road or an hour down the road uh, within a, a week, you know, if you can if you can help it. Um, so there's that sort of thing, but also the much bigger. Um, Blood Bowl tournaments, you don't really want to be holding a Blood Bowl tournament uh, right next to the NAF Champs or the World Cup or Euro Bowl because uh, people are paying 
like fair amounts of money to go to those sorts of things or and use it up uh, hobby weekend credits uh, with their yeah. families to to go to them so i think yeah you need to be mindful of those um and i think it's i think you're right with the six months you can definitely do it um in less time but in order to do it justice and uh get something that's that's good value for your attendees and it's easy for you to to manage i think giving yourself six months is a is a good yeah. good starting yeah. point Look, a, a good example was that okay we're in COVID 19 world everything's horrible um but i had a, a quick plan put together uh, to set up a one-day Blood Bowl event, which I was going to run in Stirling, you know, and this is me talking directly to you, Phil, you know that there was that small window of opportunity to get events running, um, which my bolt action event fell out of, sadly. But there was about three or four weeks where events ran in yeah. Scotland. Yeah. Um, I was talking to the NAF rep around that time uh, for Scotland, um, to see if it would be plausible to get a quick one-day event slotted in. And because I was already in discussion with the venue, uh, I knew what the venue's availability was, I knew what their costs were. I um, already had the software for running it, and I would have just grabbed a quick player's pack from the, it would have been from the NAF Championships again, just to roll it out. And I think my motivation there was that the, I was looking to see if it was possible for the Scottish Blood Bowl Championships to be able to complete the season. Yeah. And we needed, there needed to be X number of events that ran. Um, obviously, it didn't happen because reasons. Um, if you're experienced, you can do it in a shorter lead time. But yeah, to get a good event, you need six months at least. Yeah, I think. Um... I think if you're wanting to to make it uh, work better, yeah, six months is good. Um, yeah. And we'll explain why uh, further as we go further through that. That makes more yeah. sense. Yeah, um, it will do. Yeah. So I think the the next thing that people would look at, unless uh, you've got anything more to add to that one. No, no. Happy is, to move on to the next step. Yeah, is whether you're going to go for a one day or a two day tournament. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that, and it that it greatly depends on how much interest you're going to have in it. In it, you think. I think it's probably better if you're doing it a tournament for your first time, uh, doing a one day. Yes, I um, agree. But you know, it depends on your level of commitment. If you think you can get away with with doing a two day, and you're like, so say for example, you've never run a Blood Bowl tournament before. But you've run other tournaments. A two day might not be so daunting. Uh, but if you if this is your first ever tournament that you've run, a one day is probably going to be enough. Yep, if I would agree with that. Just stick to one day um, for your very first tournament. You know, in future events as time rolls on and as your experience rolls on, that's when you'd look to the the community and see what else is already happening. So, you know, if there are seven one-day Blood Bowl events during the year in your local area, I would say do a two-day event as a point of difference, something 
different for the the player base to to get involved in, um, but that would be a judgment call. But definitely, as you said, your first TO experience one day that's enough. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you'll if you've never experienced uh, the uh, the full TO experience, uh, it's a draining one on the day as well. Um, yes. So if you've never done it before, two days is is probably not a, a good uh, way to make you want to do it again um, yeah I, yeah i agree completely but no i mean one, one day is perfectly fine and you'll find uh, that you'll open it up to a lot more people i guess with one day uh two day requires a lot more commitment from your attendees as well and like we've mentioned before like your hobby credits for your family and stuff like that you're a lot more likely to get a day pass than you are a weekend pass yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So I guess. Yeah. So I, th- I think as we continue talking on, uh, TOs, rookie TOs should assume that we're going to talk about a one day event unless we mention otherwise. Yeah. Um. So, if you've got your date picked, and you've decided on your one day event, and you've got it NAF ranked, these are all things that we would recommend. Uh, the next thing to do is to just to work out or canvas from your local area how many players would be interested in attending and a good a good figure to aim for for a one day event would be between 16 and 20 yeah i think that's Uh, realistic yeah yeah Yeah, even if you're in a, a big city like edinburgh or new york or ontario or johannesburg melbourne dropped a lot of continents there you know for all our listeners around the world (laughs) (laughs) we do get them we do get them them. trust us guys we do get them or um uh, i was going to say it was stand but they get a lot of blood bowl players there in belgium Um, (laughs) what am i trying to say yeah so you might think there's a lot of players but in the area but aiming for 16 to 20 just to be realistic uh, you know, gives you a, a good, a good working number and a manageable number. You know, when you get bigger numbers of people, they tend to misbehave a lot more and need to more management. Uh, and it's also true that when you get less people, less people somehow seem to generate just as much work as more people. Uh, I don't know how that works, but it, it's it's true for my experience. Yeah, I would say, I would say, yeah. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, it's a that, that's a good range of of people to get there. I think if you've got any less than that, I mean, you might find. Um, I, I think local areas, local is a bit of a misnomer there because your local area could encompass, like for us, the entirety of Scotland. Um, yes. If you're local, if you're in in the central part of England, um, around Birmingham, uh, Derby, Nottingham, you've got all of that those places in very close proximity. Uh, so you've also got like multiple other local areas that might draw into that. So you probably you're probably going to have the ability, or you probably have put your dipped your toe in the water to online communities so you've got a bit more reach there as well so by canvassing your local group that can extend to um chucking up a, a feeler on on a facebook group uh, to say oh who's interested exactly. in this 
Uh, so 16 to 20 is probably manageable for most uh, if you think about it like that. But if you're just starting in your local gaming club, you might not uh, not quite reach that. So you don't, it's not if you if you can't reach 16 to 20, it's not the end of the world. Just no. work for what you got. No, not at all. Um, but with those numbers in mind, we come to one of the big the big points uh, of organising an event, and that's the venue. So the venue, obviously, is the place where the event is actually going to run. Uh, it's where your players are going to turn up. It's where the games are going to get played. It's where you're going to feed them, uh, water them, and it's, it's, it's going to give an impression of yourself and the event. It'll all reflect for good or bad uh, upon you and the event and if it's an event that you want to uh, to run again then picking a good venue is uh, is definitely the way forward and both myself and Phil having been to many events have say I've seen really great venues and we've also been in some absolute shitholes <laughs> so sometimes you can get away with the shitholes because the atmosphere is good or or what have you but yeah we've, yep. we've been to some absolute shitholes absolute shitholes guys so um when you're looking at venues you might actually be a bit uh well that's the wrong way to start you might actually not know where to start yeah uh, if you've never been to that many events yourself so you've it's not really about, about thinking outside the box but for venues uh you know you Look at pubs. Now, you think pubs, you're thinking their main floor, but a lot of bars have got um, private function rooms upstairs or downstairs yeah. or, or back rooms. So you've got to start uh, investigating those 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 locations. If you're in places like Australia, uh, you've got your RSL clubs, bowls clubs, leagues clubs, um they yeah, all got, have I mean, you've little, got them in the UK as well. You know, most most yeah. places uh, like that will that will be the same sort of thing. Yep, uh, working men's clubs. They'll all have little function rooms that that can cater uh, for you. Um, obviously, you can look at you know hotels of different different sizes, but when you get to a hotel, there's a cost premium involved just because they've got larger overheads and they expect a bigger return. Um, but what you do want to try and ensure is that your venue has got particular things already there. And this is going to sound stupid, but it is worth checking. Uh, are they going to provide tables and chairs? Yes. I know the TOs out there will be thinking, oh, of course, but do they have tables and chairs? And can you measure the tables beforehand? And you're wondering, why would I want to measure the tables? Blood Bowl pitches, mate. Blood Bowl yeah, pitches. Absolutely. You know, like it's that's that might sound like a a ridiculous thing, but um not every pub whatever has got uh like tables that are suitable for not only a Blood Bowl pitch, uh mm -hmm. dugouts, the crap that people bring with them. Uh, yep. a drink uh, or whatever somewhere to roll dice 
that isn't on the pitch itself. So yeah, that that's a definite consideration, and you don't want to have oh. to be hiring those if uh, if you can help it well, either. These tables and chairs uh, and a nice cloth over the tables should they should be part of your of your venue hire when you when you pick it. I think I think you can probably get get away with not having things like the cloth, um, but I mean, as a personal it, it, preference, it looks better. Yeah, it's, it's it'll depend on the quality of the table and the condition of the table underneath. But yes. one very specific thing I will say to TOs, uh, this is it's relevant to the UK, but I'm quite sure it's a brand worldwide. There's a brand of table trestle table called Burgess trestle tables. Um, they are very common in a lot of big big end hotels that do conference business, but also smaller. And they do a six foot by two foot trestle table, which is perfect. You can get two blood bowl pitches on there, uh, so four players per table, and there's still enough space for uh, dugouts, dice, miniatures, etc. So your your ideal table is a six foot by four foot table. Sorry, six foot by two foot. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. I think, uh, I mean, bear in mind, uh, like most people are used to playing end on uh, and blood bowl as well. Uh, but and but even this you, this would be that would be end on yeah, play. But even if you can't get a table that works for end on side by side um or opposites on each side is acceptable you know folk will bump their gums about it but um yeah uh, as long as you've got something that you can get the boards on and get seats around um you're fine yeah that are that are comfortable yes the the next thing and again it'll sound pretty obvious but uh, is there a bar blood bowl players like alcohol they just do yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good one to have, and I think if you're if you're going to a lot of these places, like a pub's gonna obviously have a bar, um, mm-hmm. a working men's club or a, a legion uh, or whatever you will have a bar, but whether you'll have access to it is another matter. Uh, so you need to check that sort of stuff, like um, based around your starting times and stuff like that. When when will you be able to to get access to the bar and? Will there be somebody available to serve drinks? And even if, to be honest, even if you don't have a bar in the place, as long as you've worked out with the venue whether you can uh, bring your own booze, um, yep. I think that's the lowest uh, level uh, that you want to be aiming for is for folk to be able to rock up with a couple of cans themselves and and have a wee drink. You know, that, that, that should be fine. Yep. It's a good point on the alcohol there. You know, if you can. If you can bring your own, that's great. That then also um, flows quite nicely onto food. Now, with a one-day event, uh, we're going to talk about ticket price in the future, but are you going to include food in that price? If so, does the venue provide meals? Um, If yes, then you should engage them with that. If they don't provide food, are they happy to let you bring your own food in? Uh, a great thing that we do at Granite Bowl for our event is that we engage the services of our venue for food for lunch on both days, but they are happy for us to order in our pizzas, uh, chip 
chip suppers, um, curries, Chinese food, uh, when we have our evening get-togethers in our private uh, function room, they're happy for us to do that because it's a little bit of a, a give-and-take relationship um, that, that we've got with our venue there, uh, which works really, really well. Um, I think the, the next thing that you've got to focus on is the location of the venue, Yes. Yeah. Location's very, very key to the whole thing. You know, I think accessibility um, should be right up there. Um, probably actually more important than uh, than booze and, and food, <laughs> to mm -hmm. be honest. Uh, you want to make sure that it's either got uh, access to parking, um, so fr free if possible, but uh, paid street parking is usually not so bad. I've been to quite a few where you've ended up having to pay uh, for parking for a day or whatever um so you, that that's 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 kind of useful um but um at the very least it should be in decent walking distance uh from public transport like trains and uh, buses and stuff uh because uh, quite a lot of folk will uh will kind of go locally uh via bus or whatever you so they can drink uh, you might get folk travelling from further afield uh, by train. So yeah, have, having that close proximity to to one or the other of those or the transport hub for where you are is, is pretty helpful. Um, yep. I yeah, you don't want to be, you know, a little country pub that's 20 miles away from the nearest train station that's only accessible by car or by a bus every hour and a half. That so, would be bad. Yeah, I think yeah that that's not ideal. I think um, if you were looking at a choice of running a tournament or not, uh, and the tournament and the venue you could get or the venue that's good for you is a little bit less accessible, then folk will still come to it. Um, car shares are a common thing, you know. Uh, so you will kind of get your way around that. We've we've played some tournaments uh, that have been a bit further out of uh, towns and cities and stuff like that so it is possible but it doesn't make things as 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 easy for your attendees if you yeah, don't have that close proximity it, it's another potential barrier yes and absolutely. you don't want you don't want barriers to attendance to put people off yeah definitely yeah. i think um i think that 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 has to be kind of First, first and foremost in your mind is uh, making mm -hmm. making your tournament as accessible as possible to your attendees and if that's location uh, availability of uh, alcohol or soft drinks and food then have that in your mind when you're when you're choosing your venue yeah there are there is another easy option which we haven't discussed yet for venue and that is your um, if there's a local gaming store Yes, available. Yeah. That's another, and if they've got gaming space available, uh, then that's another good, easy to work with venue because uh, they understand completely what it is you're trying to do, uh, and they've got all the right setup or should have the right setup for your event. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, if you've got, um, if you don't, if you don't have a a, a good local gaming store. Uh, you may run your uh, your gaming out of a, a location anyway, uh, 
Like a lot, a lot of gaming clubs have got um, access to uh, like public halls and um, like scout huts and whatever, um, so that they can. It's worth discussing if you've got access to those sorts of things. It's worth discussing whoever the uh, the the lease owner of those uh, places is uh, to see if you can utilize them for your events on weekends. Yeah. You might find that a bit harder specifically if it's a public place because the you tend to find that on weekends you get a lot more things that um like families get involved in or people with kids get involved in like yeah your ballet lessons and shite like that um so yeah. so yeah you will be competing with with that sort of stuff doesn't mean to say it's not possible but yeah uh, it's no. uh it's it's, it's another thing to explore um when you're trying to pick your venue. Uh, but I think you, you touched on it, Phil. Ultimately, the thing with a venue is that it has to work for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sort of add in that it's going to reflect upon you though, and your event as to how successful it is. So, uh, you know, good venue, good support. You should, you should um, enjoy a measure of success. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and let's and let's sort of not pull any punches. Don't pick a shithole, or me and Phil won't fucking come. <laughs> yeah, aye. Uh, I think yeah. You work with what you've got and what you've got access to. But if you do end up picking a shithole, and people have a really bad experience there because somebody and their brother cousin is uh, breathing down your neck all fucking game, asking what you're doing and stuff like that. Um, who isn't connected with the tournament? Uh, you're less likely to get uh, repeat attendees. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that whole tournament experience is important, and um, having a good venue will will stand uh, in good stand in good stead for for uh, for coming back and and doing it again. You know, I think. Yeah. I think if you're um, if you you're lucky enough to be running a two day and um, if you've chosen a hotel as well, things like um, asking if they do deals on room rates and stuff like that. Because um, if you're getting people to travel up anyway, and it's a two day, um, having somewhere where they can stay where they're actually playing is really really handy. Um, and to give to give uh, the rookie tea as an example. The, uh, the venue that we use for Granite Bowl in Aberdeen, uh, we won't say the name of the venue because I don't think they pay us enough money to spot to, to promote them. But <laughs> <laughs> um, the hotel venue that we use, as as we said, we use them for food for lunch, etc. We got a, a room rate and a special code and every room that was booked, they got a bottle of um, Prosecco in the room on arrival. Yep. Prosecco, and, Prosecco, that drink, uh, well-known drink of Blood Bowl players. Yeah, that well-known, well-known drink of Blood Bowl players. But, uh, you know, it was a value add that we gave to our our potential players. And uh, a lot of them took us up on it. So, you know, granted, you've got these grisly Blood Bowl players that are coming down with balls of Prosecco. Um, but it's alcohol. It's It was free. Uh, and I got drank. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure I... I ended up staying one year in the hotel and I booked, I used the code, I got a bottle of Prosecco, I just put it in my bag to go home, <laughs> give it to my yeah. wife. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but Rookie TOs, 
if you are going to go down that path, you shouldn't be afraid to ask. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they'll be it's, they'll be wanting uh, business, um, and if they can get ten to twenty extra people uh, filling rooms uh, for a weekend, uh, they'll not be yeah. not be turning that down. You know, I think uh, um, it's a bit weird up in Aberdeen, obviously, because the the hotel trades quieter at the weekend uh, than it is during the week uh, because of the nature of the oil industry. Uh, you tend to get more people staying up. Uh, here during the week than at the weekend but um, I'd still think uh, if you approached your hotel uh, if you're using one um, about room rates they would probably be quite open to doing something uh, with you yep. yeah. and um, even if it's not specific to you most hotels will have like a special event room rate that they use anyway so you should be able to access it um, but you know good good venue guys and you know we should say that if anybody wants advice on venues if you are picking one uh, send us a link to your venue and we'll we'll give you our opinion based upon you know what we can see online or what you give us uh, we will not be afraid to tell you if it's shit so we could score it on a, a kind of roaming rage well roaming rage from uh, Kilmarnock to 10 <gasps> Oh, you went there? Oh my god. Kilmarnock is uh, an awful, awful place. However, um, and this is where I say uh, venues sometimes do not make the tournament, uh, we've been to, well, I've been to three very well run um, and fun tournaments in Kilmarnock. So uh, you work with what you got. <laughs> 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 Jack H will be uh, wanting to. He'll be, sharp, be sharpening the knife to fucking plant. I, it right I could you. just, I could just see him uh, boiling with rage next time I see him. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's 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 migrate on, guys. So you've um, you've got your one day tournament planned out. NAF approved. You've got your. Uh, player target number that you want to get on board you've got your venue, you've got your date so now you need to start feeding out information into the public realm to try and get some players signed on and one of the first ones, the big one, is people are going to ask, how much? Aye Yeah, I think uh, that's a tricky one because there's a lot of factors involved in that, you know, like if you're paying for a venue you need to build that into the costs um you, you you're going to want to have some prizes available so you you're probably going to need to have some money generated for those um i don't know you're going to look at um i think if, if from my experience of going to tournaments if you're going to a one day you can probably expect an attendee to pay somewhere between 10 and 15 quid and if you're yep. going for a two day, somewhere between twenty and and thirty, thirty five. Yep. Um, for myself, for the two day, I would, um, yeah, I would be pushing pushing thirty and thirty and beyond. Yeah, I think thirty is probably a, a better ballpark. Uh, twenty, if you're not thinking about things like food and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and if you don't have a, a venue to uh, to pay for, if you can get that for for yep. free. You can probably the one come thing in I at would, the lower end. The one thing I would jump in to say straight away, though, for the rookie TOs here is that 
and maybe I should have said this at the start, is check your motivation for running an event. If you think you can run an event to make a bit of extra money to put in your pocket, forget about it. Aye, totally. It's, it's, it's not that. Your motivation for running an event should be to contribute to your local community, your local gaming community, and help expand the game of Blood Bowl. Yeah. And to generate yeah. to generate an atmosphere where people can have fun. That's it. That is it in a nutshell. You are not going to make money here. Uh, it's it's not for making money. It's not for feeding your own ego. Um, you know, so you can look like the big man when you're doing a you know running your event. And by big man, to translate that, it means to be the center of attention. Aye. You are you are contributing. You're donating your own time and effort to generate something for the community to enjoy. You'll get a pat on the back if you run it well, and you'll get a really a nice warm feeling, um, but that's all you're doing it for. You might get the odd little perk, you know, I think after, you know, for myself and Phil, after we paid for everything for one, for, for a couple of events, we had enough, enough money left in the kitty for a couple of pints of beer, literally a couple of pints of beer. And that's all we did. That um, that was it, yeah. And that, and even then, that was uh, that was kind of like the chicken shit end of the money that was left. You know, we had uh, we probably spent upwards of a, a hundred or so pounds on prizes for the the event by that point. So, so yeah, yeah you're exactly. Kind of, so you're kind that, of looking at it. that, yeah. I think I think yeah. it's it, like you said. You know, you're not you're not you shouldn't be doing this uh, for your own ends. It's it's part and parcel of. Uh, growing communities and and having fun uh, with your mates, and I think um, you have to kind of go into it with the mindset is that you weren't going to want to make this happen, and if that's the case, you might have to uh, to be prepared for not even breaking even and dipping into your own pocket and using yep. that as a learning experience for when you run it the next yep. time. Because when because when you start to book things and plan things, you don't you haven't sold any tickets yet. No. So you've got to you've got to have a little pot of cash to start with. Um, you know, for a one day event like this, if you've got 150 quid you know on hand to put down as a deposit for a, a function room or something, that's what you need. And then you recoup that money back through your ticket sales. Yeah. And it's when you get to your ticket price. If you look, if you listen back to everything we've spoken about, you know, picking a venue, um, are you going to include food or not? Uh, that's when you start to build the ticket price. Yeah. So you, you know, a ballpark figure we're talking in pounds so sorry we can't talk in dollars and shekels or rubles or euros um and any other denominations i haven't insulted there uh, <laughs> but like you, you could be looking at between six and nine pounds for a uh, food and venue hire per person per person yeah yep so that would only leave you Maybe, you know, to play it safe, that may only leave you five pounds to go towards trophies and prizes. Yes. That that actually sounds quite realistic from events we've run in the past. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of touch more on the kind of prizes element uh, a bit later on, I think. But yeah, you need to kind of think think with that in mind um, and how you're going to portion up the money that, that that's involved. I mean, don't if you if you're in a position where you're uh, where you're not having to pay for venue hire, uh, you're laughing because uh, then that gives you a bit more to play with and you can be a bit more uh, flexible with the ticket costs, but you will have to factor in other costs uh, for the day. You know, you you can't get around that. It's going to cost you some money somewhere. Uh, and if that's not in prizes, it'll be in someone else. So, yep. So make sure you are, you've got a little Excel spreadsheet and you're cracking away and you work out the realistic ticket price. Um, and at the moment for a UK event for one day, Fifteen pounds is is the most I would pay for a one day event for Blood Bowl, uh, and I would I would would I expect I would expect some form of food. I I think I'm a bit a bit less uh, less fussed about the food side of things. You know, like I I think out of all the tournaments we go to. Uh, there's maybe only two or three of them that you actually get food. I, a lot of the one days you don't. I, I was under the belief that every event I went to, I got fed. No, I even mean, if it's even if it's just a pie or a bridey. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like yes, some some of them are um, for sure. Uh, I know we get a. I'm just trying to think through the ones that we get. So we got a pie at Killy, uh, a bridey at. Uh, Bridey Bowl. We got lunch at uh, Burger Bowl last time I was down at that. Um, yep. So one of the other things that uh, that kind of uh, kind of thought around food was if you can bring in your own food, godsends are things like uh, ordering pizzas as a group, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I think we did that at um, uh, Kelpie Cup um, last year, uh, and that was really. Uh, successful you know like uh gus just put in a, a massive order for pizzas and everybody chipped in from menu uh, memory i think i can't even remember maybe he paid for it fuck knows uh but yeah i mean even stuff like that um um i was so ill in that tournament that my memory is <laughs> it's, it's not very good uh but yeah i mean even stuff like that works well for uh for tournaments uh but yeah i, I it's not a deal breaker for me if I have to nip out and get a sandwich or something like that at lunchtime or buy a sandwich uh, before we go, like at a Tesco or Sainsbury's, um, I'll, I'm quite happy to do that. You know, it's not not a big deal. But I think that to box off this that little section on price, make sure you work in food cost and then a little bit more. And £15 is, is the right sort of figure for me. Yeah, I mean, I I would be happy paying up to fifteen pounds for a a one day. Um, yeah. Perfectly happy doing that. So, with your ticket price now set, you are pretty much in a position to create your rules pack or your um, tournament event pack. So this would be this is the main driver for actually getting people to um, buy into your event. And I think Phil, you you often take the lead on our event pack, don't you? 
Yeah, yeah, I've done and it. When, and see when I say take the lead, you do everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I generally end up writing it. Um, I think for for that, you know, you're probably looking at all the the normal um, the normal information you'd want to see as an attendee. So think about what information you want to know. So shit like date, venue, time, price, um, all has to be in there because uh, some people just go straight to the rules pack and they expect that sort of shit to be in there as well. But you also need to have the kind of detail around how you're running the tournament. So scoring mechanism, what rules you're using, blah, blah, blah. The best way, and I think from my, from my kind of experience, the best way to do that is to, to go on the NAF site and look at the resources for starting tournaments because there is basic rule sets in there and and that's a good jump off point you can look at the NAF championships and just completely use that rule set if you want it's there for a reason you know you can you can definitely go ahead and and just steal it and use it it's not a bad thing not not a bad place to start and i think uh you don't want to go too much crazier than that in your first tournament. I know you'll go you'll go to tournaments and they'll have special uh, special stuff, um, but um, uh, just just kind of make sure you've got um, you've got a good idea for that if you're going to go do it because a lot of the time these additional rules are shitter than you think they're going to be. Um, so and they're more more management on the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot more management on the day. If you're, if if it adds extra scores in and stuff like that, because it's, it feels flavoursome. Remember, you've got to tally all that together, and that just adds to the time that it takes to tally things between rounds. So try and keep that to a minimum. That that'd be my kind of advice to it. Um, you you have to sanction uh, to get your rules into na- the NAF uh, rep and through the the rules. Um, process the rules sanctioning process to get NAF sanctioning for the tournament so build that into your time frames they're usually pretty quick uh, with getting those through you know like I think last couple of years I've put the granite bowl ones in and it's been approved within a, a couple of weeks you know and then then you can say you can use that as a driver to get uh, to get stuff uh, to get sort of people interested in it because a lot of folk will only go to tournaments if they're NAF ranked um, well, what about, it definitely helps with promotion for the side of it. Would you agree, Al? Yep, completely. Um, making sure that it's making sure that the, the I guess the first page is the clearest in terms of uh, making it idiot proof. Where is it? How much is it? And quite briefly, what do they get? Three games of Blood Bowl, four games of Blood Bowl, and then they can take it. Players can take it from there. They can turn the page and actually start to get dug into the type of event. You know yeah. what tiers are the teams? How much gold do they get to spend? What are the tiebreakers? What are the pros and cons of uh, you know causing casualties or etc. 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 But that very first page, keep it short, sharp, to the point. Know, Blood Bowl event, May 23rd, Aberdeen, Ontario, Johannesburg, Moscow, wherever the fuck you're listening from. Uh, where is it? 
the venue, if you can have a picture of the venue and the address, just so that it's another visual cue for people. Uh, as long as your venue looks good, if it's a shithole, don't put a picture of your shithole <laughs> on the front page. Yeah, don't do that. I think don't do that. I think uh, yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, all those sorts of things are are, are just useful to have. I mean, we mentioned it in the tournament attending thing. Yes. People want to read these things to understand what you're trying to get them to do. And you don't want to have uh, masses of questions um, all the time. If it's your first time writing rules packs, you're probably going to make a few mistakes here and there or think, make things less clear here or there. Uh, and people will expect you to uh, to answer those questions. And I think dovetailing into the kind of next part, you know, it's once you've got your rules pack set up, um, you have to communicate it out to people. And I, yep. I, I think uh, personally, you know, like the easiest way to do that is to chuck it in Google Docs and put that as a pinned post on your uh, Facebook event. Now, I would say it would be a very, very good idea to set up a Facebook event for sure. Uh, you know, yes. you, don't, you don't want to, um, if you're engaging with people, you want to make it easy for them to keep it, um, keep it kind of uh, accessible. You know, Facebook events are a common one. Um, but yeah, I think I think you get as a pinned post on that, and you're fine. Um, I know you did this in the, uh, for your bolt action thing, but actually encouraging people to ask questions early on mm-hmm. is a really yes. good thing, you know, because you can you can head off a lot of the stuff at at the pass very very quickly, you know, and and you I, I don't know what you're like, uh, uh, Albert. You're probably right on the same sort of page as me with this, but you don't want to be clarifying rules on the day if you can help it. No, not at all, and. Uh... When I was doing that bolt action event, I made up a specific FAQ for it, and it was whenever people asked me questions, I would record the question and record the answer that I gave to them, and then I would email that FAQ out periodically as it was growing to all the players so that they knew what I had said to one player, I've said to them all. So that on the day, if anybody had to come up with it, and the discussion would come out. It's like, oh, but the but Alistair said that I could do this. Um, well, I've told everybody what I said to you, so there's no secrets, you know. So I know that uh, specifically, people were asking about special rules for special characters that they could be taken, thinking that oh, I'll find out if I can take this. Well, I advertise to the entire world that you asked me about this. So, is it a secret anymore? And I know that's not relevant to Blood Bowl 2016, but moving forward into Blood Bowl 2020, there's new rules, new characters, new skills, uh, new abilities, new options, and people are going to find take time to explore all that. And sadly, Games Workshop may not have may not produce the clearest rulebook, you know, in the coming months. So. TOs might have a little bit of extra work to do regarding answering questions and how things are interpreted. 
Yeah, you can very often find yourself in this situation where, especially if you're planning out six months, you know, new rules are maybe added to your game system while you're promoting your event. So I think we tried to remain quite flexible uh, running Granite Bowl and that if there was a spike journal that had come out, as long as it had uh, come out uh, within a, um, a month or, or a, a month before the event, we would count it uh, for most parts. Um, you have to be quite clear about what your what the expectation is with that, you know, because um, you don't want to get yourself in a position where somebody's attempting to use rules that aren't uh, aren't okay, and it just confuses matters. So just be quite clear of that. If you're going to allow it, make it clear in your document uh, how your what the mechanism for that is and what the time frame is. Or just go straight down the bat and just say, from the start, this is what we're using up to. And then just be rigid on that. And if somebody comes crying, oh, but I want to use my brand new uh, Space Weevil team or whatever, um, then then you just have to say, no, <laughs> we're not, it's clear in the rule pack. Yep. So stick stick to it if it's uh, if it's key to your, your kind of uh, flow of the thing. Um, but um, be be aware of the fact that people read things in completely different ways, so you will have to clarify a few things here and there. And one thing to the rookie TOs, don't let yourself be bullied or coerced into doing something that you don't want to have happen. Absolutely, That's, yeah. I've, I've seen it happen to other TOs, and all you will end up doing is you'll make one player happy but you'll make 15 or 19 other players miserable because they're on the receiving end of something or they didn't get the same opportunity that you have mistakenly given this one player yeah and it's not fair i think that's more prevalent uh and sort of uh more to bear in mind uh, on the day itself than in the run-up because you will find yourself getting put on the spot on the day as well. No matter how clear you try and make it, no matter how much of an FAQ you've run, you will come across things on the day uh, where people are asking questions. And you, you're right. You, you've got to try and avoid being bullied. If you've if you've re- uh, meant it and your intent was one way, be rigid with that and stick to it. Uh, even if it's wrong, yep. as long as it's consistently wrong, everybody's in the same place, you yep. know. And uh, don't don't let your friendships uh, influence what you do. If you're the TO, your friends and colleagues, or your your colleagues, your friends and fellow players should respect the position you put yourself in because you're giving up a lot of your time, so they shouldn't take the piss. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, if not, if not, they're cunts. Aye, aye, and there's plenty of them <laughs> out there. Yeah, there's plenty of them out there. I think as far as as far as kind of uh, sort of going on from that, you know, I think the next thing to think about is actually getting people to come to this bloody thing, because uh, otherwise you'll not uh, <laughs> you'll not be able to run it. Um, so, Al, uh, what do you think about uh, about that side of well, stuff? It's, you, yeah, you'll have canvassed interest beforehand. Uh, now it's as you said, it's time for people to actually follow up on it. And you know, my most recent experience, sadly, was with the bolt action event that couldn't run because of COVID nineteen. 
and it's a long boring story which I've covered in other places um, but when I put the tickets online the first three players that bought tickets were players from Scotland that I knew they were straight there on, on ball and the money arrived, started to arrive in my um, my account so that I could actually start paying for things the one thing though that didn't happen after that was that I didn't get any other Scottish players for maybe a month I did get players from elsewhere in the country who were interested in so what I'd say is that I got the player base, which I needed, but it didn't come from the location that I thought it would. And I was really expecting more local players to come on board sooner. Um, but they came on board later, and that was because there was no um, oh, there was no pressure on them because I didn't yeah. put pressure on them. Yeah. They, they knew me, I knew them, and they thought, oh, there'll be, there'll be space. And uh, they were watching the tickets fill up. And then as the tickets filled up, they jumped on and said, oh, yeah, I better pay now. Uh, but that might not have always been the case. So putting a bit of, not, not pressure, but gently encouraging your friends and club members and local area members to, to commit to buying a ticket. Uh, from your players pack, I wouldn't, advertise a cap on your players so when I went into the bolt action event I knew that I wanted between 30 and 40 players but I never told anybody that I just let I just started selling tickets and when I put uh, and I would recommend that you do this but you put an attendees list up on yes. your Facebook event page but don't list the empty numbers some people will go you know okay I'm going to have 30 players they'll put numbers 1 through 30 and then they'll just start slotting names in beside them so that you can see you know okay you're player 5 you're player 10 oh there's 20 spaces left I don't need to buy a ticket yet I can wait I, I didn't do that I just as players arrived I would put their name up I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. Yeah, I think that can work both ways. You know, I think uh, we we've run it, or at least uh, I can't, I've done it the other way for for Granite Bowl, where we've like put up how many we we kind of want as a a sort of basic ceiling, and then and work from there. But I can I can totally see the value in doing it the way you're doing it. Um, like and I think probably lessons learned uh, from previous ones that I've I've organised. Would be that that would probably be the better way to do it because you, mm -hmm. you're right, folk. Uh, folk do just sit and look and think, "Oh yeah, I've got plenty of time," and yep. you know, like no matter how much you'll ask your mates earlier on um, when you're trying to work out how many people you can, you're roughly going to get there, a lot of them will let you down. <laughs> they'll just uh, yeah. be like, "Oh yeah, I can't do that weekend." Like after you've arranged it all or or what have you, uh, because things change, you know. So you're probably want uh, like you say you're you're probably not going to get the attendees from where you thought you were going to get them. And if you've if yep. you've sort of gone a bit wider with your local community and you've done the right things with uh, putting feelers out, 
people will want to actually help you and like uh, especially if it's your first tournament they'll want to try and get the numbers in so you you will you will sort of you will get there uh but yeah it could be quite soul destroyed for the first couple of weeks if there's only like three people paid uh, and you're sitting there uh, thinking oh shit uh, is, is this the right thing persevere with it just be patient folk will pay yep yep it's yeah i remember the first first couple of times i did it because it's that financial impact you know small as it may be it's still there the commitment on time uh, and then yeah, you always get this flurry of ticket sales at the start and then it sort of really peaks and troughs after that. Um, but I suppose the one thing though that we never discussed earlier for creating the rules pack and the ticket sales is that you need to put some sort of um, uh, cancellation criteria in there. Yeah, I think that's that's helpful. You know, I think uh, we we always we're always quite upfront with that. And that past a certain point, we won't give a full refund. Yep, and we always put four weeks, or yeah. I would recommend four weeks, because that's when your venue will want a deposit or like a, a some sort of balance paid. Yeah, and if anybody, and this is you have to be pretty business like about this, guys. But if anybody cancels, a uh, Within that four-week period, they don't get a refund for any reason. You know, death in the family, uh, you know, change in annual leave allowance from their work, or for whatever crazy reasons you know they can come up with, uh, you cannot guarantee them a refund. Or if if you you yourself have to cancel the event, like I had to do. Um, you offer a partial refund yeah. based upon monies that you've had to pay out remembering as well that you're not in it for your own profit uh, so you've got to give back as much of the money these players are paid as possible yeah and I think m most people will try and be kind of fair about that you know you do have to sort of trade on people's goodwill a little bit uh, with that one uh, but you, you generally have made some sort of outlay uh, yourself by this point you know you've uh, either hired a venue or started thinking about spending money on on things or maybe even started buying uh, prizes and stuff you know you need to you need to kind of think about that and uh, like I say people will generally try and be flexible with that in my experience uh, but mm -hmm. don't expect them to be uh, you will get some people who will just be awkward um, or yep. or not care about whatever situation it is I think you're right in the, um, once you've said like 30 days before the event no re uh, no full refund etc um, I think what you want to encourage is for folk if they can't go to pass on their ticket to somebody else either at their cost yes, make, or make, make it transferable yeah. yeah so the ticket can be transferred uh, is the way to look at it either they, they sort out the money themselves with the, the person they're trade, uh, trading it off for or, or whatever you know I think uh, encourage them to find an alternate bum for the seat because I think we, we haven't mentioned as well but when you're looking at numbers if you've got an uneven amount of people uh, expect to play in the tournament yourself <laughs> so, so build that into your concept of how much time you're going to have on the day to do things. Uh, one of the reasons Al and I do as a team is so that um, if we are uneven, there's still somebody 
if somebody has to play, one of us is still available to do all the uh, tallying and stuff like that. Yep. And we can yeah, even, we can still yeah still do the administration and uh, communicate with the venue and you know take care of questions and answers. Yeah, and we can even split it so that one of us plays one day, one of us plays the other. You know, it's uh, it's it still works. You know, we, it's. Uh, it gives you a bit more flexibility, but yeah, I think that that's you've got to build all that into your your kind of uh, thought process. Yeah, and I think once once you've kind of started snagging in, uh, attendees like from the local side, you really need to start promoting it. Uh, so you've got your venue locked down, you've got your date, you've got your rule pack, you've got a couple of a couple of folk through the door uh, to to make it look like there's some people attending your uh, your event. Um, I think you need to be punting it seriously on Facebook. Like I said before, you need an events page. That's a useful thing. Um, adding it to Blood Bowl forums and stuff like that. If you've got a local forum, by all means, add it to that. I think forums are kind of a, a, thing, of, a thing of the past now. You know, most folk go down the Facebook route, but I mean, there is still a decent community on Talk Fantasy Football. Uh, forum, um, and it's good to list it there if possible as well. Yeah, and you've mentioned local area, but your local gaming group, local clubs. Yes. Uh, and then also, if you get the opportunity to go to other tournaments and other events, so that you already know that the people there, that's that's the product they want to consume are tournaments and events. So you ask that TO that if you can get two minutes at the end. Uh, during their prize giving just to stand up and spruik your event you know give it to people in a sort of bite-sized format uh, date location cost how many games or if you're you know a little bit not more organized but you've got the time maybe just doing some flyers just yeah. to to hand out to people um that'll also help drive drive that interest I think you, you've got to keep in mind as well that uh, the people who are running the other tournaments that you're going to are tournament attendees themselves. And yeah. if you're supporting them by going to their events, there is a good chance that they, if they're available, will sort support you by going to your event. It's a reciprocated yeah. thing, you know. I mean, um, it's great to do that. And do you know what? You've got three games, maybe six games, five, six games, if it's a two-dayer. Um, uh, where you have a captive uh, person on the other side of the board from you. Uh, mm -hmm. You punt that tournament that you're running at the start of the game and then remind them about it at the end as well. You know, yep. it's like the, the chances are if they're a local player or a fairly local player within driving distance of the venue and they're available, they will consider coming to your tournament. Yep. And if anybody you know bothers to look on Google Maps for and looks at Scotland, to give you an idea of the distance that we travel, um, you know, you take Phil, lives in Aberdeen. He will, he's gone to Kilmarnock, which is uh, south of Glasgow. So it's virtually the length, that, that sorry, the diagonal length of the country. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then also Stirling, Edinburgh, a little place called Arbroath, which is just slightly south of Aberdeen. Um you know that's that's a lot of a lot of mileage. That's you know for our American you know brethren, that's uh, three and a half hours in a car each way to some of these venues. Yeah, I mean um, Kilmarnock's easily three hours. Um, 
yeah. the majority of uh, of tournaments from from my doorstep. I mean, aside from our broth, which is about an hour each way, um, pretty much everywhere we go is uh, is two and a half hours or more. So, yeah. And then even for myself, as a you know, when I consume an event, a you know, I make a pilgrimage every year down to Blythe, which is in uh, just slightly north of Newcastle in England, and that's a, a good trek down the coast. Uh, I go there for a I go there for a one day event and stay overnight. So, and that's that's because the tournament is organised extremely well. The venue is good. There's no alcohol, but the club that runs it they they bring you juice and soft drinks to your table. There's um you know, a hot lunch, which is orders are taken and they bring it to your gaming table for you, the, oh, taken care of. And, you know, for TOs that are listening, there was one year down in Blythe where I was extremely hungover, like really, really bad. And uh, this this nice old lady kept bringing me cups of coffee and cups of water, even though I wasn't asking for them. And <laughs> she just took care of me for <laughs> most of the morning. Um, so it was little things that, off topic but uh, it's the lengths that people will go to yeah to get to your to get to, to get to your event so don't don't think that uh, aspects of um avenues of promotion are bad they're all good yeah definitely if and, you're fine and um like i said before like if you're going to tournaments if you've got members of your gaming community that are going to the tournaments with you get them to punt it as well they probably won't yep. but at least get uh, get them to try and i think always bear in mind with promotion that you just need to keep at it but more often than not if you think you're doing enough you're not so just do more yep. be constantly and... visible to your community online uh and in person as much as possible yeah, and remember, your first event is going to be tough because it's brand new. Yes. Um, if you keep it going year two, year three, year four, it gets easier. Uh, when you get really far in the future, future years get harder because you become part of the scenery, but that's a, that's a future problem which we're not going to even bother talking about. No. I think um, that kind of covers the promotion side of it. Like I say, uh, there's very there's loads and loads of ways to do it, but you keep keep pushing. I mean, you can even ask podcasts, but I mean, we've discussed before. Like, we don't think that's as relevant because of the time thing. You might be listening to this podcast a year and a half from now, uh, so whatever tournament we're punting might, but it's already happened, might not be happening again next year. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean that that's that's a, a the lower a lower hanging fruit, but I mean it's always good. It's always good to kind of try and punt stuff, whatever. I think on the prize front, you know, it's a difficult one that, you know, for the first year as to how, how big to go. You know, like people people can be quite forgiving with that, um, especially in ranked tournaments. They're not necessarily as worried about prize pool. Um, however, it's nice to have prizes, you know. Yep. And you're talking, we're obviously talking specifically about Blood Bowl here, you know, different, different game systems and different events have different expectations. Yeah. Um, but I think for Blood Bowl, there is a, a minimum that you should be aiming for to begin with. And you want to have a prize for first, the yeah. winner, second place, 
third place, and then a prize for the player who causes the most casualties, the player that scores the most touchdowns, and uh, you can either have it or not have it as a minimum, but I think a reward for the player with the best-painted team should should get recognition. Yeah, I, I like that one because like not everybody is good at Blood Bowl. You know, that, that one allows you to have a different talent and still in, uh, potentially get a prize. You know, I think, uh, uh, yeah. I believe that the rookie TOs, that is your minimum that yes. you should be rewarding. Now, it doesn't have to be with a prize. It can be with a, a nice sort of a token trophy. You know, I think there's a, you know, there's a reasonable range of trophies out there that cost maybe three or six pounds each. They don't have yeah, to the be. One, yeah, you know, it, it, yeah. You're you're not giving out the FA Cup. No, the ones the ones that we've had for the first couple of years that we've run Granite Bowl have been pretty basic trophies. But it's a nice thing, you know. You get with the, uh, you, you order them online. You get a little stamp on the thing saying. Granite Bowl winner 2018, whatever. Um, it's something for somebody to walk away with. And I think tro- trophies, I, I don't think they're essential to have, uh, but they're a good thing to have. And if you are trading off between prizes, which tend to be a little bit more expensive, uh, and actually giving somebody something, then the trophies are the cheaper end of it. So you, you could go down that route quite legitimately, and somebody's at least got something to, to, to have, you know. No, I would, um, yeah, trophy, trophy first, then prize. Yeah, and I think you've you've got to be, you've got to be quite um, uh, clever about what you're doing for getting prizes as well. Um, I think um, bear bear in mind you've got um, multiple ways to ask for prizes for from out from outside of your your normal kind of places. You don't necessarily have to buy everything. Um, we've had kind of varying success with approaching uh, local game stores um, and they're quite happy sometimes for promotion uh, to either give store credit or supply a prize or two um, which is great you know you can also give uh, a, a bit of a kind of lean on on companies that make things for your game system so with Blood Bowl there's a lot of third party manufacturers if you, it's worth an email. You know, you might you might get nothing. Uh, you might get like a couple of things, small things. Everything's better than nothing. You know, with that side of things, and think outside the box as well. There's a, a number of people that make things for for dif- uh, for Blood Bowl specifically that aren't necessarily miniatures, tokens, and stuff like that. They're always cool as well. You know, for prizes. Bigger cases as well. Yeah, I uh, things like that. You know. Just just start punting out emails. You know, you're gonna to have to put put in the legwork with that. Uh and it with, on you go. With, with this seek for sponsorship, what I will say to the rookie TOs is you do have to put the work in here. You have to do the research, get the contact details for these different companies. The one thing I would encourage you not to do is don't just send a blanket email to all of them all at the same time definitely that just is impersonal and you're not making that company feel 
any sort of value. You know, I'm sure you could sit there one night, write the perfect email, and then just get everybody's email addresses, BCC them together, and send them. Don't do that. That just no, you'll you'll get deleted. Their spam filters will, you know, make you disappear. Yeah, you're um, you're much better trying to tailor it to the specific company that you're you're doing. Like, yeah, I mean, there's various various ways to do that. Like, make sure you're you mention what what you're actually like about their stuff. You know, you just just be honest about it. Uh, like Al said, don't don't make it generic. Tailor it to the specific companies that you're speaking to. Uh, the personal side of that is a lot more palatable uh, than uh, mm-hmm. just a, a a blanket email begging, effectively, which yep. is what you're doing at the end of the day. You know, some Cause I can I can assure you that for the you know won't can't really talk about our Blood Bowl event because that's sort of a little bit more private. Um, for this cast but for the full action event I would have contacted at least 45 different companies uh, I only got three negative responses and I got 15 positive responses and the rest were no response at all yeah so you know I'm, I was I was superbly impressed that 15 of them came back and came on board even with that though, 15 people came out, 15 companies came on board. I only received tangibly from 11 of them. Uh, four of them hadn't delivered by the time I had to cancel the event, which was only two weeks out from the event. So even though a company will say, yes, or yes, we'll send you something, you still have to keep on at them to remind them to actually send something to you. Uh, you know, and in a nice way, you have to do it, but things slip through cracks, emails get forgotten, uh, staff members go on holiday, staff members quit, don't Aye. hand over information. So you've just got to keep keep that relationship going as best you can. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, even if you can get free stuff, great, brilliant. Make sure you do a buttload of promotion for the companies that are giving it to you. Um, mm-hmm. Make sure that that's first and foremost in, in your mind with that. And and don't make it sort of uh, wishy-washy. Uh, make, make it feel like that you really appreciate what they're putting into you, uh, to your event, you know. Um, and that that's how it should be. You need to kind of be genuine about that. Um, yeah. I think, bear in, you can't expect to get free stuff. Um, so you're probably going to want to have a little bit of cash um, to buy a few things here and there uh, at bare minimum, and anything else that you can add in um, is great. Yep. No, that that covers anything I would want to say about the prizes. But just remember, rookie tos that there's that minimum winner, second, third, most casualties, most touchdown, best painted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, there's one that we have missed from our little list there, um, which all Blood Bowl events have. And I can actually hear people screaming that we haven't mentioned it. Uh, Stunning Cup. Well, yes. If yeah, I don't think that's a minimum uh, one. I think that's a nice to have. You know, like um, 
it's good to have a stunty cup. I think that adds yep. a little bit of flavour. But if you're if you're going in with a small tournament, you you might well be giving that stunty cup to the one person who bought a stunty team, uh, brought a stunty team with them. Um, yep. I I don't think it's essential to have a stunty cup, uh, especially if it's your first event. But if you find yourself with a, an expanding prize pool and you can start adding stuff in, then yeah, go for it. It's one that we, I would instantly add in if I was in that position. Yeah. And there's other ones that you could chuck in there as well um, that would uh, that would go as spot prizes and stuff like that if you've got lots of smaller things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the first the first thing I would add is if the prize pool was good would be a stunty cup. Uh, but yep. yeah, the other the other thing that I can hear folk uh, sort of clambering after is uh, gifts and stuff like that. You know, I, yes, I, I I don't think that's an essential thing to have, specifically early on in your tournament running career. You know, I, I think it's nice to have stuff. You know, like the the kind of I think what you'll find as a TO the easy options dice, but everybody's got a fuck ton of dice. Um, you're literally chucking dice uh, at people and while you're doing it you're chucking money you could have been spending on prize pool uh, down the drain you know yeah. I think that that's my feel on it you know especially early on um, there are other things you could look at you know like uh, dice coasters and stuff but if, if you're going to go down that route you're going to want to have a decent visual image uh, or logo for your tournament so that people are if they're going to take that with them to other things folk are going to see it so that's another added cost and another added stress unless you're really good at that sort of shit yourself so I, I don't know about you Al but I, I think it's just a bit of a money pit uh, yeah I agree it's, you know there's the value are you ever going to get the value back for it uh, as you said, the dice, you know, oh, I, I'm, I lost count as to how many sets of dice I've been given. Oh, I'm the same. And I do yeah. I do really like some of them, uh, but others I'm just like, yeah, that's great, a set of dice. And I think that's going to be the hard thing for us as TOs uh, going forward, because I mean, we've done dice uh, the last two years. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, this year would have been the third year of dice, and we'd already said to ourselves, this was the last year of the dice. Uh, we're going to have yep. to come up with something else because uh, I'm sick of and and, sick of and we will yeah and we will. Um, I don't have any any doubt of that, but I think gifts are uh, added extra that you, uh, you you get to a couple of years down the line. Yeah, you know, even even if it comes down to and I can't I haven't never actually mentioned this to you, but even if it comes down to rewarding players that are returning. Returning players get a reward, you know. So if they've attend, see you run the event for three years, you know. So on your third year, you might give a player, you know, a set of dice that you can only get after having attended for three years in a row. That sort of thing. That's just an off the ball idea, but yeah, gifts yeah. are gifts are um, yeah, not essential. Yeah. Added extra, and I think for a, a, a you know rookie to it's a it's a hassle you can do without. 
And if you run a neat, tidy event that runs on time, uh, you know, with good games, good atmosphere, that should be enough. Yeah, and I don't think most tournament attendees will expect a gift either. Like, we don't get gifts from every tournament that we attend, and I, I don't come away feeling like I've been uh, short-handed or uh, hard done by uh, for, for not getting something. You know, if it's, like like Al said, if it's a good a good tournament, it's well run, and it was a good laugh, whether I get dice or, or whatever at it is neither here nor there. Yeah. I think yeah, I yeah, and yeah. Even with all the dice I've got, I still use the same sort of six or eight sets of dice. Yeah, I've just got a pot of the bloody things that just keeps growing, um, and occasionally I swap them out when ones annoy me. But you're, I'm the same as you. I've maybe got a couple of sets of d6 and block dice that I kind of gravitate towards more, and that they get mm-hmm. the heavy rotation. So yeah, I don't yeah. worry about that. And I think um, once you've got prizes and if you are doing a gift, I think then other opportunities to start promoting again, you know, trying to get people to attend. If you've got a good sponsorship and you're, you've maybe got a free team uh, to give away as a prize uh, or you've bought a team to give away as a prize, let people know about it. Uh, although we said earlier on that it's not necessarily the draw for people to go to tournaments, some people that might tip them over the edge if they can win something nice. You know, it's uh, yep, it's worth communicating across to people. Yep, and I don't know if I, I want to be sure our rookie deals are quite clear that prizes are should be prizes. They should be things. Don't ever put a cash prize up. No fuck no 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 cash don't, prizes. Don't but, do it. That that's uh, that's that's a a shitty kind of uh, cop out. I think as a cash prize. I mean, the, yep. the, the if you're going to do that, you'd be better buying vouchers for your local gaming store um, with the money, uh, so that people can actually bet. Somebody's going to benefit locally uh, out of that, you know, uh, and support uh, something that get that does kind of help the community. Yeah, but never put a cash prize up for no. anything no no don't no. do it no absolutely not no no things and don't don't allow things like shitty side bets and stuff like that during the games and stuff like that. I don't, nope. I'm not a fan of that sort of shit either um, all bad yeah um, I think the other thing I guess touching on what you mentioned earlier on with uh, communicating the attendees tally and stuff like that um, I don't know what you feel about when you're starting to kind of edge towards the uh, uh, the maximum capacity. Do, do you start kind of punting it a bit more and making that a deal for people, or do you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Once once you're within sort of you know four or five players of being at capacity, that's when you that's when you start firing out the you know the hard sell for people. Yeah. Hurry up. I think um, I think if you were yeah. smart about it earlier on, and you've got a bigger uh, and you've you've looked at your venue and thought, well, okay, I could probably get sixteen to twenty people, but if this thing's popular, I might be able to squeeze twenty five people in, twenty five to thirty, whatever. Um, that's the point where you might think about, oh, we're touching this amount. Maybe I can get some more. So you might want well to have another word with your venue and see if that's a possibility as well. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but be be wary of that because uh, you don't want to kind of oversell it then under deliver you know it's uh, um, yep but yeah. then that's when your uh, ticket sales refund should all come into play yeah yeah so if people are paying and then pulling out you either retain their money or they give their ticket to somebody else so yeah it should they should all work out like that I think one one thing that we we kind of didn't sort of cover completely, but is worthwhile having. I think we mentioned it earlier on uh, briefly was uh, a a decent spreadsheet um, that tallies your break even uh, and whatever incomings and outgoings you've got. They are very yeah. very easy to set up. Um, basic spreadsheeting. I think they're useful to have. Uh, for keeping your eye on what's going on. Um, yeah, just a little basic accountancy thing. Yeah. You know, money in, money out, what have you got left? Balance, yeah. yeah. And that, that, that keeps you uh, in the right headspace um, for what you're needing to do as you as you kind of carry on. So that, I yeah. guess that kind of, that's that's a good a good chunk of it. Um, I guess to wrap that, this kind of section up uh, for the uh, part one, uh, I guess we're talking about the final run-up to the event. Uh, what sort of things would you be looking for there, Al? Man, you've got me on the spot. I don't know. I... Uh, actual run-up to the event itself. Yeah, so, I mean, I've got, um, in my mind, um, just keeping on top of things like... Uh, like you mentioned before, chasing up price support, um, uh, making sure if you if somebody's committed to something, you're you're reminding them that they've committed to, to sending it through for a particular date. Uh, but also, mm-hmm. I mean, we we found this really useful. Like if you're using a method of of uh, tabulating the scores or recording the scores, certainly in Blood Bowl, there's a a bit of software called Score, uh, but you can there's also plenty of uh, spreadsheet versions out there as well set up a test event and run your way through it yep. so you know how your software that you're going to be using on the day works you don't want to be finding out how to use something on the day i went to a tournament did you i don't know if you went to it as well but i went to one where the guy had never used it before um everything that could possibly go wrong with it went wrong with it um, there was a, at least one redraw during the, the event and when we got to the end of the event nobody left knowing whether the end results were right and several of the prize, prizes had to be redistributed to the right people at the end mm. so expect things to go wrong so test testing it prior to the event is a good idea just so you're familiar with it I think and and if you are struggling with something, you can at least ask the community uh, because somebody will have used it and will know how it works or know how to fix something. Yeah, I think a lot of the run up to the event, um, you know, I'd I'd like to see us cover that in the next podcast. Almost sort of, you know, twenty four hours out from the event, what are the final checks that you're going to be doing? Yeah, yep. 
we could do that in yep. part two as well. Yep, I can see that as being more of a thing, almost like the when we were doing the review of and you go to an event, you know, your final checklist 24 hours out. Yes, yeah, because I mean, yeah, the, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of stuff that you'll be wanting to do on that. Um, so we can, we can, we'll cover that in part two, yeah. So I think then that that concludes part one of TO's guide to uh, to run an event. So um, I hope our rookie TOs will stay with us. Uh, obviously, in the the coming months, perhaps running an event isn't exactly going to be easy, um, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, some of us still have pandemic problems. Others have got well other problems to deal with um, but we would hope to get part two out uh, are we thinking sometime in the new year? Yeah definitely I mean I think the way we see this is it's a resource going forward you know like it's just our opinion on on what we would do as as TOs but it's useful for people to have you know I think and uh, this is the sort of thing that is fairly timeless uh, because it's all about organisation. So, yeah, we'll we'll get part two out at some point in the new year, and um, and we'll have uh, um, have a, a bit more of a kind of uh, toolbox for for potential TOs to use going forward. Yep. And so, part two will cover the twenty four hours or so leading up to the event and how you actually do it on the day itself yeah and i think also the post event stuff because uh like things like getting the information to the naf and stuff like that because that that's always a an additional yeah. thing that you've got to think about and i think um it would be useful you know for any of the any of the other experienced tos that are listening to this um if you've got comments or if you've got other things you want to add um chuck them up in our facebook uh, page um, yeah that's really good because um, like we're not the bible on this you know we're not we're not giving you the exact way to do something there are other people who out there who do things in different ways um, and probably more successful ways than us you know it's um, it's it's useful to hear multiple options so yeah bang, bang them up on the Facebook group that'd be great fantastic well that is all from myself. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast and we'll speak to you all again soon. Dog dick, dog dick, dog dick. Dog dick, dog dick. Severed dogs, cops.